Hey there, Social Work 6533 students. I uh, I don't know what you've all been up to since we last had class. I don't know if you've read the Flexner Report of 1915 yet or not, but I'm willing to bet that probably some of you, because we have a pretty big class, some of you have probably started to read the Flexner Report of 1915. Some of you maybe have read it in its entirety before listening to this, and some of you probably haven't. And I've used the Flexner Report of 1915 a number of times in different classes that I've taught. I use it because I think it's kind of like a, a foundational document for the profession of social work. And every single time that I have used this document, people have had a variety of emotional reactions to it. One of the common kinds of emotional reactions that I've gotten from people when they've had to read this is that they get a little bit mad, a little bit frustrated. They think to themselves, who the hell does this Flexner guy think he is saying these things that he says? And, you know, we're going to be talking about that in this podcast lecture. And when we come to class together and uh, meet on Thursday, we're going to be talking about it too. Uh, However, just in case some of you are a little worked up at the time that you're listening to this, having read the Flexner Report, I'm going to start out with a little bit of introduction music, and the introduction music that I've chosen for this particular podcast lecture is a little bit up to beat. It's kind of fun, hopefully going to get you in a good mood. And after you listen to a little bit of it, what I'm going to do is fade it out, and then I'm going to use it to try to construct a metaphor for social work's relationship with this concept of professionalism. Are you ready? expecting that at the beginning of a podcast lecture for a social work class, but now you've experienced it. Why did I pick that song and what, pray tell, is the metaphor that I'm going to construct out of it? I am so glad that you asked that. So here's my premise. I think that social work has this incredibly rich history. It it has uh, a history which is incredibly interesting. Now, it's not usually taught a whole lot in a lot of social work programs, right? There's never like a history of social work class, or I suppose some schools have that, but a lot don't, uh, which is, I think, kind of a shame because the history of social work is just incredibly fascinating. If there was a history of social work class, I think that one of the things that people would come to realize 
is that social work, when it got started, was a profession that had a mission. And the mission was to kind of taken on by people, mainly women, actually, who had enough of what they needed. And they said, you know, just hanging out, having enough of what we need is not what we want to do. That's not how we want to live. We want something more than that, right? And so they decided to take their resources and do things with those resources. One of the things they tried to do with those resources was provide them to people who didn't have resources. And there was a lot of different ways that social workers would do this, but they did it in ways and they were usually not paid for doing it. They were, there were people who were doing this kind of like um, uh, out of a, a sense that there was something that was wrong with the world and they wanted to do what they could to right that wrong in a way. When I tell the story, a lot of the times the way that I describe it is the early social workers were these groups of very brave people, again, mainly women, who went out into the world and they were looking for the people who were oppressed and who were exploited, the people who were having their necks stomped on by more powerful people who were wearing powerful people boots. And the social workers, you know, they went up to those powerful people and they gave him a shove. They said, get off this person who's on the ground, you know, and then they tried to help the person on the ground up. They tried to help him out. Um, but this definitely did start with the social workers kind of, uh, in a sense, finding, uh, individuals and institutions that were very powerful and effectively saying like, Hey, you can't use the power that you have in the way that you're using it. It's wrong. And that's what they did. A lot of times in, in the early, early, early days of social work, you know, this was not, like I said, this is not something that people did as a job. This was not something that people did to get money. They did it because they, they wanted to live better lives, I guess, right? They were doing it very much on a kind of like volunteer basis. But time went by and after a while, social workers started to kind of say, hey, you know what, maybe... Maybe this doesn't need to be something that we do as volunteers. Maybe. Maybe this can be something that we teach people how to do and eventually something that they can kind of like get paid to do, right? And we started to see educational programs that taught people how to be social workers come up. We started to see books on social work being written. There was there was training, people kind of going around, kind of talking about how to do it. There was, there was a really interesting kind of a split in the world of social work. There was a woman named Jane Adams. You might have heard of her. She was here in Chicago. She created a thing called Hull House. She was part of the Settlement House movement. And she had her way of doing social work. And there was this other woman named Mary Richman who was working in Philadelphia. And she had a different way of doing social work, which she called uh, charity work. And their their methods were completely and totally different from each other, right? They, were, they both wanted to make the world better. They had very different ways that they tried to make the world better. And each one, I think, tended to believe that their way was better than the other. And you started to see that kind of thing happen. So social work started to develop into kind of like sub-disciplines and, and things like that as well. And then, you know, as this is going on, there's naysayers. There's people who are saying to the individuals who are trying to take social work and turn it into something that isn't just uh, something that people do to be nice, that it isn't just something that people do because they uh, want to make the world better, but are trying to turn it into more of like a systemic 
way of um, being trained and whatnot. There's there's people who say this is ridiculous. Social workers, they're not they're not like a real profession, right? They're trying to set themselves up as professionals, but they're not. They're not that. And social workers kind of were like, hey, maybe maybe we should try to figure out if we are a profession or if we're not, right? Maybe we can we can figure that out. They found this guy named Abraham Flexner, the dude who wrote the Flexner Report of 1915, which you are reading for this week's class. And they asked him to investigate social work and to determine, you know, whether or not social work was or wasn't a profession. Now, the reason that they were doing this is because prior to doing this for social work, Abraham Flexner had investigated the uh, profession of American medicine, right? Uh, the, the profession of being a medical doctor. And when he investigated it, he determined that American doctors were not... Uh, the, essentially, if somebody was a white male with money, they could become a medical doctor, that it didn't really take that much. That there was a lot of institutions that were giving people pieces of paper that said they graduated from that institution and be and now they're a doctor. But they didn't have a lot of like rigorous standards for becoming a doctor. And this revolutionized the way that the American medical system went about training doctors. And I would argue that what Flexner did there, his intervention ended up making the training of medical doctors a lot better than it was prior to his intervention. So he was somebody who at the time that the social workers in nineteen in the early 1900s kind of heard of him, they thought, okay, this guy's a pretty smart guy. He's done some pretty impressive things, some pretty good things. Maybe we need to ask him to come and take a look at what we're doing over here. And they did. And he wrote the the report that he wrote. Now, when you when you read the report, one of the things that will become, I think, fairly obvious pretty early on in the report, but this is a bit of a spoiler, is that Flexner comes to the conclusion that social work is not actually a profession. He's, he, he considers the question and he kind of goes about defining what he thinks a profession is and what makes a profession a profession and not like a, uh, a craft and not um, uh, a hobby or something like that. And he says that social work doesn't meet the criteria that, that he lays out ultimately. And after he does that, social work starts to go, okay, they, they don't get mad actually at Flexner. I don't know what your reaction to the Flexner report was, if it was to get frustrated and irritated, but, but their reaction was not to get frustrated, not to get irritated. Their reaction at the time that this report was written was to go, this guy's given us uh, an answer, an answer to a question that we asked. And he's also, in giving us the answer, told us that we're not a profession, why we're not a profession, and in a sense, what we need to do in order to become a profession. He lays out the criteria for a profession in this document. And that means if we have the criteria, we now know what it is that we need to do in order to become a profession ourselves. And social work goes about attempting to become a profession from 1915 on. Now, here we are in the year 2020, more than 100 years later, 105 years, right? since this thing has happened. And we can see now that social work, whether it would be considered a profession by Flexner's criteria today or not, I will leave that an open question. We can talk about that in class. But regardless of whether it would or wouldn't, today, social workers are seen as professionals. 
they're recognized as professionals. They have a license to, to be a social worker. You have to go through a lot of fancy book learning. Uh, you have to get a master's degree. You're doing that now. You have to do a lot to be a social worker. And and a lot of the, the things that Flexner lays out in this report, social work kind of was like, okay, we'll, we'll do those things. And we'll do that so that we can become professionals. And that brings me back to that song that I was playing at the beginning here, right? Dancing. The, the, the song is a fun song, right? I, I really like that song. It's a one because it's kind of like poppy and kind of fun to listen to while you run or something like that. Or while you're like dancing while you cook. Um, you can listen to it. It's a lot of fun if you do those sorts of things. I do those sorts of things, so I'm, I'm speaking from experience. But anyways, you didn't care about that. Um, the the song tells this story about somebody who's, you know, they they were with somebody and then the person who they were with, it seems like they ditched them and now they have a new person who they're with and, uh, you know, the person who's singing the song has heard about this and they go out somewhere and they watch their uh, previous, you know, love interest partner type person, I guess, uh, with this new person. And they're just like over here, like being really sad and kind of dancing on their own. I'm, I think that the social work that was prior to the Flexner report is a lot like the, the Robin singing this song. It, it's somebody who sees social work kind of, uh, move away from it and find this new, thing professionalism and the social work that was sees the social work that's really enamored you know with with professionalism and and the social work that was that was governed by whatever social work was governed by prior to its obsession with professionalism that old social work is just kind of dancing on its own over here that's my metaphor what do you think of that was that good did i land that was it all right i hope so Anyways, let's take a quick break here, listen to a little bit more music, and we'll come back and say some more things. That's a, a far less well-known song than Dancing on My Own. That's a band called Say Hi. Uh, the name of that song is Gray as a Ghost, if you care. Um, and I, another thing, by the way, I, I did this over when I taught classes over the summer. I would sometimes like punctuate these podcast lectures with little pieces of music like that. And somebody asked me one day if I would compile a Spotify playlist of the music that I used while I made these podcast lectures. And I said, sure. And if anybody wants me to do that for this class, let me know. I'll do it. Again, it would be really easy to do. Uh, but anyways, that has nothing to do with what we're supposed to be talking about, does it? No, no, it doesn't. We're going to go back to talking about the Flexner Report. I have uh, one, two, three, three points that I want to make about the Flexner Report. Now, these are points that I want to make about the Flexner Report. They're not me summarizing it for you. They're not me telling you what it says or anything else like that. As I pointed out on the first day of class, you are all grownups, adults with adult powers. That means you can read. So I'm not going to insult your intelligence 
by telling you what it was that you've read. What I will be doing instead of that is supplementing what you've read with some of the knowledge that I have in my head, which you might not have in yours, right? Chances are you probably don't, right? I'm in this position of professor. I've done lots of fancy book learning at this point in my life. I've learned a lot of different things about social work. And what I hope to do is to take some of that fancy book learning out of my head and put it into some podcast lecture words that you're listening to and that as you listen to them, they will you know, enhance the, the learning that you get from doing the reading that you do and the class discussions that we do, so on and so forth. But uh, enough of that. Let's get into these three points, shall we? And we'll start with point number one. So these points are supposed to be like food for thought. That's what I'm going for here. Point number one, I'm going to pull something out uh, directly out of the Flexner Report. He talks about the differences between professionals and amateurs fairly early on in the document. And when I read that, I started thinking to myself, okay, you know, I understand what a professional is. When I think of a professional, one of the first things that comes to my mind is like a professional athlete. You know, a professional athlete is somebody who gets paid a lot of money to play a game and that's like their job, right? And so they work at being really good at that game. They make sure that their body is in really great shape and they probably eat really healthy and they, they do different things and stuff as a result of their, their, but they're a professional. If they they play basketball in the NBA, they're a professional basketball player. If they play football in the NLF, they're a professional football player. And those people doing that are people who have taken this thing, this sport, this game, and they've, they've turned it into a profession and that makes them fundamentally different from people who play those games as amateurs. And Flexner uses the word amateur in his report. He makes this distinction between professionals and amateurs. Now, it's my impression when he makes that distinction is that he's uh, that's kind of like shots fired at that kind of old school social work that I was describing just a moment ago. Old school social work was a bunch of amateurs who went around and kind of tried to make the world a better place by standing up to people who had more power than they did, people who they thought were abusing their power and stomping on the necks of people who were weaker than they were. But they were doing it in an amateur way. What I want to what I want to do here actually is I don't know how how productive this will be or how useful it will be, but I want to make you all aware of something. The word amateur nowadays is, you know, kind of thrown around maybe like an insult or something. If somebody's an amateur, that means that they're they're not that good, I think. But if you look up the word, the, the word amateur means somebody who does something for the love of it. That's what an amateur is. So if you have an amateur chess player, they play chess not to get paid, not to um, be a professional, but because they really love doing it. And that That's what they do. In other words, if somebody really... I have a friend, he's he's like me, he's in his 40s. He really likes hockey. So he plays in an amateur hockey league. You know, he has no aspirations of ever becoming a professional hockey player. He plays hockey because it's really enjoyable for him. He really loves doing it. And that's it, right? He's an amateur hockey player. And, and I want to call your attention to that because, you know, in one sense I see Flexner's point, right? You don't want... There, there's a cost to being an amateur. If people are doing things at an amateur level, chances are they're not going to be doing it nearly as well 
as people who do it at a, at a professional level. That, that's actually totally true. That's 100% accurate, I believe. Be that as it may, people who do things at the professional level can, I think, run the risk of losing something that the amateur has. And what the amateur has is, is love for what they're doing. Like I said, the word amateur means for love of. I bring that up because I want to ask a question. You know, whether social work is or isn't a profession at any particular point in time uh, is, is an interesting question. I think it's a worthy question of asking. But I also think it's an important question to ask, what does social work love? You know, when social workers are doing the various things that social workers do, and they do a lot of different things, it's a very broad field, it's a very broad profession now, uh, are they, why are they doing those things? In this program... A lot of you have chosen to specialize in a particular area of social work. Some of you are going to be doing schools. Some of you are going to be doing substance abuse. Some of you are going to be doing child welfare, so on and so forth, right? There's different things that you can do. Why'd you pick that? You could have picked other things, but you picked whatever you picked. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to guess that one of the reasons why you picked what you picked was because there's something about that that you love. There's something about that that matters to you in a really significant way. And in that sense, maybe you're still in touch with the amateur part of you, the part of you that would love to do this stuff, kind of even if you weren't getting paid. But if you can get paid, let's do that, right? That's, and that's good. So that's point number one that I want to make here. The point about uh, just being an amateur can be bad, right? You can use that as an insult. But maybe it doesn't need to be. Maybe... Being professional can be something which can be good or bad. And maybe being something that being an amateur can be good or bad. And rather than being one or the other, what would you think about kind of combining those two things in some way? Being not completely professional nor completely amateur, but being a mix of these two things. What do you think about that? Do you think there's anything in that? Do you think there's anything to that? That's something that maybe we can take up when we meet as a class. Now, point number two is going to, I hope, build on point number one. One of the other things that Flexner brings up in his report is the importance of standards. He uses that word many times throughout. If you just do like a control F and look for it, you can find those instances. It might be an interesting exercise to do if you're so inclined. Control F in the document. Look for all the time he talks about standards. And... Standards are, are not a bad thing. It's a good idea, I think, for social workers to have standards for, you know, uh, who can and who can't call themselves a social worker. Like, if, if anybody could do it by, um, like, going online and filling out an application and then you got something saying, like, hey, you're a social worker. Sort of the way that people can do that now. If you want to, you know, officiate a wedding ceremony, you can go online to various places and... I don't know, to click around a little bit and then you get a certificate that you had, I guess, print out on your printer and it's like, you're allowed to marry people. You know, I mean, that's that's something that people do. And it would probably be, I mean, social workers probably wouldn't be a good idea for them to be able to do that, right? You do want there to be some kind of standards for, for people to uh, call themselves social workers. Standards are not bad. But I think that one of the things that can happen is that when any group becomes uh, kind of hyper-obsessed with professionality, 
and loses touch with the love of whatever it is that made them want to become a professional in the first place, the the principles uh, that were present and moving them when they said, okay, I want to move in that direction. That's something that can happen. So that's, that's the dichotomy I want to set up here. On one hand, we have standards. Standards are a lot like rules. They're these, they're, they're these benchmarks. It's like if there's a standard to be a social worker, like one of the standards to be a social worker is you need a master's degree. You can say if somebody's got a master's degree or they don't. It's, and it's also got to be a master's degree from a place which is an accredited program, by the way, which AU, of course, is. Uh, so that's a standard. You can see if people have met that standard or they can't. Um, you To get a, a license to be a social worker, you have to pass a certain exam. You can see if people have passed that exam or they haven't. Uh, to keep your license as a social worker, you can you have to do continuing education, and you have to do continuing education in specific areas. And then, you know, occasionally the licensing board will audit people at random and see that they actually have the documentation to prove that they met the standard for continuing education. If you if you did it, you'll have the documentation. You give it to them, and you have no problems. But if you didn't do it, then you're going to have a problem because you didn't meet the standard. So, uh, th- again, those standards are are not bad. But if we only care about standards, one of the things that we're not doing is caring about principles. And principles, I think, can go along with standards. I think that principles are a really important thing, too. And like I said, kind of building on point number one here, the amateur, I think, is motivated by principles. They want to do something because they, they have a principle. They, they want to do it. They want to do it well. They're not getting paid for it. They're not doing it to meet some kind of an objective standard. They have a principle that they're trying to achieve, ultimately. Where the professional, um, you know, they can have that. Professionals can certainly have principles. Professionals can certainly do things because they love it. But if we implement too much in the way of standards and rules, then one of the consequences, I would argue, of doing that is that we stop being uh, as concerned about principles and about loving what we do. And that can be bad, I guess. So huh, I feel like, I don't know if I made this point the way that I want to. I hope that I did. I'm going to try one more time here. On one hand, we have professional and standards. On the other hand, we have the amateur and principles. And what I'm trying to propose here is to not get so invested and interested and tied up in the importance of the standards and the professionalism that we lose sight of the principles and the love that motivates people to become social workers in the first place. So an example of a a principle, for example, that social workers I think probably care about a lot is the principle of social justice. Social justice is an abstract concept. I can't actually test you to know how much you do or don't care about social justice. I can test you to find out if you can if you know the definition. I can test you to find out if you can, uh, know about certain instances where social justice was, you know, denied or achieved. I can do that. I can test your knowledge of social justice, but I can't test whether or not you actually care about it. That's not possible. So yeah, I can I can create a standard that says that you have to know certain things about social justice and demonstrate that knowledge. No problem. I can't determine how much social justice actually matters or doesn't matter to you because that's a principle. 
And that's something that's, if it, if it matters to you, you probably love it in some way, right? And uh, it's probably good, I'm saying, to, you know, have the, the standards, but also to, to have the, the sort of like innate natural desire to do the things that social workers do because we love them, uh, the, we love the principles, you know, that, that animate what social work practice can be, ultimately. So, like I said, I don't know if that makes sense outside of my brain. I sure hope that it makes sense outside of my brain. Let's talk about the last point here, point number three. Point number three is a point about taking risks. I can remember the first time that I read the Flexner Report. I didn't read it in my master's program. I read it when I was getting my doctorate-level education. And the first time I read it, I took notes on it, and I still have those notes, and I looked at them, a little bit earlier today because I knew I was going to sit down to record this podcast lecture. And one of the things that's in my original notes that I took on this when I was exposed to it for the first time was a note that says, you know, I think that Flexner makes a really good point about social workers and taking risks. And I I remember writing it kind of here. I was a little bit irritated when I wrote the note because I didn't want to the first time I read the Flexner Report, I didn't want to agree with it, but I, I came to it with as an open a mind, you know, as I could. I said, you know, let's let's really hear this out. Let's not read this and have just like a purely emotional reaction to it. Let's really try to understand what this guy is saying, why he's saying it, and have a, a reasonable reaction to it, right? Don't get blinded by being offended by what this guy says. Let's let's really try to to understand what he's saying and why he's saying it. And uh you know, as, as I, I did that, I realized that he was saying something about the kind of risks that social workers take or don't take that I really agreed with and I thought was really good. So here's what, what, what I think he said about risk. Um, but before I tell you, actually, uh, before I get started explaining my read of this, what I'd, I'd like you to do is as you listen, I want you to decide for yourself if you think that what what I'm saying about what Flexner is saying, if you think that what I'm saying is right. Okay, I'm not asking you to say if it's what you think about what Flexner is saying. I, I, I'm pretty confident that I can summarize his argument. I'm going to put it in my own words. And as you listen to that, what I would like all of you to do is to think for yourselves if you agree with this or if you don't agree with it. You ready? So Flexner points out that one of the things that professionals do that non-professionals don't do is that professionals take risks. And when I say take risks, what I mean is they make decisions and they say, I will be responsible for the decision that I make. This decision is going to have an effect and I am the, re- the professional who's choosing to do it. Therefore, I am the professional who needs to be held accountable. If anything goes wrong, I'm the one who should get credit if things go right. I am the one who's making the decision. And as a result, I am the one who's accepting the risk that comes along with making decisions. Flexner says that's something that professionals do. If you're a professional lawyer or a judge, you have to make decisions. And the decisions that you make are going to have effects on the people in your courtroom, right? They're going to affect these people's lives. The effect, whatever that is, you're to some degree responsible for that effect. You're not 100% responsible for it, but you're somewhat responsible for it. If you are a heart surgeon, 
and something goes wrong during an operation, you have to make a very quick decision about how you're going to address what's going wrong. You're the one who's responsible for whatever happens, right? Like you're the one who is, is responsible in that situation. So Flexner's point is that one of the things that makes a professional a professional is that professionals accept the risk that is inherent in being a professional. They go, yeah, I'm a professional. That means that I have to make choices. And uh, because I'm a professional, I know how to make choices. And I'm going to do my best to make some good ones. If the choice is the wrong choice, if something goes wrong as a result of the choice that I make, it's not somebody else's fault. It's, It's mine. That's his idea here. And he points out that social workers actually don't have that to the same degree that other people do. Social workers kind of um, find people who need various things and stuff. And then Flexner says what they do is they put them in touch with, in contact with other people who are professionals who take risks then, right? But he's saying that the social workers, when they're doing this, they're not actually taking a whole lot of risk uh, for, for things, right? They're just sort of passing somebody along to somebody who does take risks. And that's something that I'm really curious about that. If you think that that's kind of how social workers continue to function today or not. Um, and we're going to be really interested in hearing all of your, your thoughts on that. Um, see, I wasn't going to say this, but now I feel like super compelled to say it. Um, I, I'm a little bit more on Flexner's side here than I want to be. I, I don't want to say that social workers nowadays don't take any risks. I think they do. And I think they can be responsible for the decisions they make. But I think a lot of times I've seen social workers try to dodge responsibility. Again, this isn't every social worker in the world or anything like that. It's, it's really not. But there are definitely those who do. And I notice it when it happens. One of the ways that I notice it is that um, people who I, I've known and supervised or people who I knew when I first got my MSW and I was a new social worker myself, a lot of times what I wouldn't see them trying to do is they'd be working with a particular patient or client, you know, whatever you want to call them, and they'd have to make a decision. But rather than make the decision, what they'd do is they'd call somebody else. They'd call a supervisor, or they'd call a medical doctor, or they'd call a probation officer, or they'd call um, uh, somebody else, right? And they'd basically say to that person, hey, here's kind of what I want to do will you approve of my decision? Now, sometimes they needed to do that. There are instances where you actually do need to legitimately ask for approval from somebody who's higher in the org chart than you are. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm saying they they didn't need to do that, but they did it anyways just because I think they were afraid of taking responsibility and by asking somebody else to, in a sense, kind of like co-sign on whatever choice they made, they were trying to get that person to take responsibility for the choice. It became, uh, if you ask the supervisor to approve of the choice, one of the things that might be kind of like unconsciously happening is that you're passing along the responsibility for the choice to the supervisor. And I would see that happen all the time. Another thing that I, I see happening a lot is that social work, and this isn't only social work, mind you, this is all sorts of professions, but um, a lot of professions, social work among them, are trying to make decisions, they're trying to not make decisions, they're just letting data make decisions. They're saying, we're going to do, uh, I'm using air quotes here, data dri- uh, data-driven decisions. And I think what that means a lot is that data-driven decisions are not decisions at all. They're just basically letting uh, algorithms and spreadsheets and math 
sort of do some number crunching. And then based on what that number crunching reveals, people just kind of go with that. That's not making a decision. That's just letting the algorithms tell you what to do and letting the algorithm be. And it, it, I think people do that because if something goes wrong, they can always blame the algorithm, right? They can say, oh, it was the algorithm's fault, not mine. I was just doing what the algorithm told me to do because that's what you're supposed to do. I was just doing what the data told me to do. That's so, so I can't be accountable for what might have gone wrong here. So that's another thing that happens. Anyways, that, I, like, I, I wasn't going to do that, but I couldn't resist. I told you a little bit about my thoughts there. But I, I'm still absolutely going to be really interested in hearing all of your thoughts. Um, so those are my three points. Uh, you've heard them. I'm really interested to hear what your reactions are to them. Uh, I'm going to end on another note here. We're going to play some kind of like uh, fade out music and then you'll be done listening to me for this week. Uh, well, you'll be done listening to me until Thursday when you have to listen to me in class. Um, last thing I want to close out on here is we've talked about, or I've talked about, you know, professionals and amateurs. There's another term that I want to throw into the mix here. And it's the term vocation. I think that the term vocation in a lot of ways kind of captures the sweet spot between amateur and professional. And I would like it very much, if you all don't mind, if you could just kind of at some point use your phone, use your computer, Google the word vocation, poke around, see what it means. Uh, you probably already know a lot what it means anyways, but but just refamiliarize yourself with the kind of uh, official definitions of it. And come to class and tell me if you think that social work is a vocation. Is it a profession? Is it, or is it a vocation? And I think this is an important question. I'm going to be really, really interested in what you have to say about that. And on that note, I will stop talking. Thank you very much for lending me your ears for this time. I look forward to seeing you all in class. And uh, until then, make some glorious mistakes. century breathing down my neck I must move fast you understand me I want to go down in cellular